We open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 28 through verse 40. This is the triumphal entry uh, of Jesus. And um, so let me read this, and then we will get into the sermon. Um, the The title for the sermon is A New Kind of King, A New Kind of King. Luke 19, verse 28 through verse 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olive, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, in which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set, set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is God's word for his church. Um, so uh, before we uh, before we get into uh, the passage and, and teaching it, I, I want to introduce uh, this sermon uh, talking about um, the Hope poster. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, when President Obama was running for president in 2008, um, an artist, a street art, artist named Shepard Fer- Ferry, uh, Ferry uh, did this painting based off a photograph of, of, of candidate or Senator Obama at that point before he was president. And it was very famous, and and uh, the view was is that that this president uh, was going to be different than the presidents that came before him. That he was going to bring hope. That he would be a a new type of leader for uh, for America. Um, unfortunately, uh, as it, during his presidency, uh, there was a, a magazine, the Esquire magazine, did an interview with with the the author. The author um, the artist, uh, Shepard Ferry, and asked him if he believed that President Obama uh, brought hope in his presidency. And he answered quite quickly, no. Um, he, he believed that President Obama's presidency didn't bring hope, um, that it failed to bring hope, that he compromised on, on too many things, and that while he was a, great, a good man, uh, maybe even a good president in some ways, but he still wasn't uh, special. He wasn't something different. He he was like other presidents or leaders that came before him. And I think this is this is interesting. I think people are looking for hope. They're looking for a a new type of leader in the in the government or corporations or other places, and they're fi- they're coming. They're finding themselves unsatisfied with these leaders. Um, so let me provide some some definitions to some terms that we're going to be using in this in this sermon. The first one is providence, uh, God's work uh, to sustain and direct His universe to His determined end. That is the definition for providence. For the for the word gospel, which means good news 
uh, the good news of Jesus for the salvation of sinful people. So those definitions will be helpful as we continue in this passage. And and to kind of kind of transition to the Bible and God's word and how what we see in our kind of culture with people putting their hope in leaders and, and politicians and governments and, and then finding that these leaders are actually are really not that much different than the, the failed leaders that came before them. This really is very similar to the history of Israel and, and their long, long list of kings and leaders that led them. We think of all the kings of Judah. We have Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and Abijam and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Hazael and Athaliah, uh, Joash, Amazah, Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon, Josiah, uh, Joahaz, Joachim, Joachim, and Zedekiah. Some of these kings were, 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 were good kings. They were said to be righteous kings uh, that obeyed God. But even David, even Solomon failed in many different ways. Uh, Josiah, who is one of my favorite kings, uh, is a man who still made, he made compromises. Uh, he made allowance, alliances with the wrong people. And so these kings, some of them good, some of them horrible and evil, they, were, they weren't enough. They, they didn't provide what the people desperately needed. Was they needed a king that would live holy, uh, that would live a, a holy life and lead the people in holiness. And these kings failed to do that. They were ill-equipped to do that. And we want to talk about how Jesus is the new king. He is the right kind of king for not only Israel, but also for the world, because he's a king that is holy and righteous, a king that lays his life down for his people, and a king that is good and true. And so the, the main point of this sermon is, while the kings before Christ failed to unite the people to God, Christ, the true king, will successfully lead God's people. While the kings before Christ failed to unite the people to God, Christ, the true king, will successfully lead God's people. The first kind of sub-point, point A, is that the journey of Christ to Jerusalem. The journey of Christ to Jerusalem. Before we even get to the triumphal entry, which I, I love this story, I, I'm a big fan. I just kind of think of this as a, a really, probably a really cool event, a, a biblical event to be at. All the people and the excitement and just the, the energy and emotion that went into the Passover and all the different people from all over the region who were journeyed and pilgrimed to Jerusalem. And you have Jesus who is coming into the city with all the different um, controversy with him and, and how the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, especially the, the, the dwellers of Jerusalem, despised Jesus. And Jesus is making this journey. We go back to Luke 13, verse 22. We see that kind of this is the introduction. This is the initial movement of Jesus, this slow movement to Jerusalem, to this event, uh, the triumphal entry. It says in 1322 that through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. What's that? I'm going to stop this. And it says that great crowds accompanied him as he journeyed to Jerusalem through these towns and villages and teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching about how he came to seek and save the lost, healing people. And so he, he, he journeys 
Uh, he has this crowd following him. They're on their way to Jerusalem. In Luke 17, 11, he said on the way to Jerusalem, they went through Samaria and Galilee. Uh, they, he healed the 10 lepers. Um, and, and he was being asked about the kingdom of God and when it was going to come. And so he's teaching, he's healing, um, he's journeying to Jerusalem. The crowd is growing as they journey, as they pilgrim to Jerusalem. In Luke 18, 31 through 34, he tells the 12 disciples about why they're journeying to Jerusalem, that everything's going to be accomplished when he gets to Jerusalem. This was written by the prophets that he will be delivered over the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and, and flogged and killed. Then he will raise on the third day. And so he's, he's sharing this with his disciples. And this is why they're, going, why they're going to Jerusalem. They're not going there to overthrow the king. They're not going there to overthrow the, the Romans. They're not going there just to, to party and have a good time. Christ Jesus is going to accomplish what he came to accomplish, which is salvation through his blood. And he is telling his disciples this, but yet, unfortunately, they did not understand. They did not get this. In Luke 18, 35 through 43, he draws near to Jericho. Um, While he is journeying to Jericho, while he's going through the city, uh, he sees a beggar on the road who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Immediately, that man recovers his sight and follows Christ. And all the people are praising God because of what Christ did, how he he gave sight to this beggar on the road, that he is the true son of David. He is the true king of Israel. These other kings that have come before, uh, the kings that of the, Maccab- uh, uh, the, um, the, the age of, of the Maccabees, these, all these kings and all these leaders failed to, f- to follow God, failed to lead the people, but this is the true king of David. This is a new kind of king. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, he enters through Jericho and he passes through Jericho and he, that's when he meets uh, 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 Zacchaeus and he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He's a guest of this sinner and salvation, he says, has come to the house of Zacchaeus today. So even tax collectors, even those who have cheated and the cheated people are now brought into the fold and now followers of Christ. So now we get to the to the event that we're discussing uh, today: the triumphal entry, the triumphal. Uh, entry or march of Christ into Jerusalem. And to kind of maybe uh, introduce this or uh, illustrate this and maybe in a, in a way that maybe we uh, hits a little bit close to home, but when President w- George Washington, when he won the election, his first uh, term of office as president, he, he took this long journey from Mount Vernon, Virginia, where he lived, his farm there, to New York, which was the capital city at that time in April 1789. This was seen by the by the country, by the this new uh, country of America as victory over tyranny, and so he he when he gets close to Philadelphia, he's crossing over the Gray's Ferry Bridge outside Philadelphia on April twentieth, seventeen eighty nine at at twelve o'clock, and that this bridge was decorated with laurel and other evergreens, and the flags of eleven states of the Union were were hung on the bridge, and twenty thousand people lined the road as he journeyed into the city of Philadelphia. And it said that in the city of Philadelphia, there was doors and windows and streets of people that were filling the streets and filling windows and filling doors. And it was greater than any ever occasion and any of the people could remember was the journey of Washington to take his office. 
uh, to be president. It says that when Washington entered New York City for his inauguration, there was a vast crowd that even the military escort had difficulties leading Washington to the Franklin House was where he was staying. The journey, the, the route was jammed with crowds of cheering people. The windows to the highest stories were illuminated by the sparkling eyes of the company of ladies, it said. And this, 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 this event and this, this moment in history and the moment of this early country with, with great crowds of celebration, this was the triumphal parade that cried, they cried out, God save the king. And this was their view. This was their... They're excited about what has happened and what will happen, um, and and they're excited to to kind of cry out for their new leader, their new president. And so Jesus, uh, very similarly, is ascending into Jerusalem. He's a 17-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. This was a major route for pilgrims coming from the east to Jerusalem, and as you would walk this journey. It was a very barren and dry area outside Jericho, and there was cliffs, and it was exhausting. There was a a lack of water. There were very narrow passages by which to walk, and you would climb 3,500 feet uh, above Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on, was, you would go, you would hike upwards and and up into the, up into the hills and mountains to get to to, to Jerusalem. This was a very difficult journey. And so he would, as he was journeying from Jericho to Jerusalem, this crowd of people, as they're anticipating, they're excited, and they're looking forward to Jesus' coming king, right? This is why they're so excited. They've seen Jesus teach with authority. They've seen him do amazing miracles. And so now they're prepared. They're excited. They're anticipating Jesus taking his throne. And so they journey through Bethany on the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives. This was a political parade. They, they were filled with hope, full of excitement, was building as they traveled. And, and other pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem were joining in these crowds. Very similar to what we see when David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5, celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and, and cymbals. They were excited and they were showing their excitement with noises and, and sounds and songs and cries. There's ex, ex, there is expectation, but yet it was falsely arranged. They had not listened to what Jesus said. Jesus said he did not come to Jerusalem to take an actual throne. He did not come to to reign in a, in, a, in a palace. He came to die. He came to take on the, 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 the role of the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah 53, to take upon himself our sins and our transgressions and our iniquities, that God was pleased to crush him for our iniquities. Too much of the people in our world, especially similar to them back then, they were so uh, filled with the desire for materials and for wealth and for comfortable, comfortable living. That is very much the spiritual climate of our, of our society today. There's a spiritual barrenness uh, in our world where people feel, are trying to fill that barrenness with materials, with wealth, when those are the things that they think will bring them happiness, that will bring them joy, that will bring them salvation and contentment. 
but very similar to the people here in this crowd. They're thinking if Jesus can take over the political establishment, if he can reign, if he could be the king and rule the people, that their lives would be better, that their lives would be more free, that their lives would be more enjoyable, more prosperous. But what they truly needed was salvation. What they truly needed was their spirits renewed and transformed. And only by Christ going to the cross, only by Christ dying and suffering and being handed over and being rejected and beaten, beaten and murdered on the cross will sins be forgiven and covered. Point number two is the will turner. And I really want to talk about Christ's providence and it's really put on display in this story. We see that as they were journeying that they they get to uh, a village and Jesus says to two of his disciples, we're not sure who these disciples are, he says, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so he sends them away and found it and it sends them away and they found it just as he had told them so jesus uh, sends two of his disciples he commands them he sends them into this village that's right in front of them as they're journeying to jerusalem they find uh, he tells them to find a donkey which has been tied or bound and has no no one has ever ridden and they'll lead it back to him and if anyone should ask you why you're untying it you should say because the lord has need of it. Jesus is very precise in his details and his instructions. He is the master over the series of events. Christ is the one in control. Jesus is the one who sends the disciples in. He tells them exactly what to look for. He tells them, to, tells them what to say when anyone asks them a question on why they need it. And after they depart, after these two disciples depart, they find the colt, they find the donkey, just as he said. I really want to focus on that phrase, just as he said. The two disciples found things just as Jesus had instructed. It wasn't like Jesus was partially right or he was mostly right. He was completely right. Everything that he said, every instruction he gave was to the point. Jesus is in complete control. He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of history. The Romans, Pilate, the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas, Herod Antipas, the crowd of the Jews, none of them are in control of anything that follows from this moment to when he is crucified and beyond. He is in complete control. Christ willingly allows himself to be arrested, to be tried, to be beaten, to be killed. Jesus says, even to Pilate in John 19, 10 through 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered one over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is in complete control. No authority has, has, is over him other than his father. Christ is in control. And why does he allow himself to be crucified? This is an important question to ask. Why is he willingly allowing himself to be arrested to be tried, to be beaten, to be killed. That much that happens a little bit later. And the answer to that is, is for the forgiveness of your sins so that you will have eternal life. Sin, you as a human being created in this world and, and born in this world are essentially sinful. John Piper says, 
Do I know my condition? Do I know what it what what he means by my essential sinfulness? Do I have a grasp of what it's about? What it, what it is about me that requires the death of the God man for me to be saved? Do I have any suitable notion of my own evil? Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. And the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning, is such a heart, heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that does not treasure God over all other person and all other things. We as humans, we suppress the truth of God and we love the lie. We hate God's truth and we treasure the lie. The lie is we want what we want and we feel and believe it will bring us satisfaction and joy and God's truth and word is insufficient and burdensome. So we sin. Christ willingly allowed himself to be betrayed, harassed, uh, mocked, beaten, crucified so that you could realize, know, believe, follow God and experience true and satisfying joy. He is the wheel turner. He is controlling everything for your sake. Christ masterminded all, starting with its simple donkey for people who prefer to live or lie and worship images on a screen than the awesome, holy, and true God and Creator. I was recently went to a restaurant and I noticed this this mother who was the entire time she was at the restaurant was on her phone. She was ignoring her two other people who were with her. She was ignoring her child, and it drove me mad that that she would be so more uh, she would desire the things on a screen than the actual human beings around her. And I think it, it it says something about us that we are so captivated by images. And we worship images on screens and said the awesome, holy, and true God and creator. And because that's what our heart is, our hearts are conditioned to worship worthless things instead of the creator Lord. Christ's mastermind, he willingly allowed himself to be handed over and to die for our salvation. If you're not a Christian today or you have been haunted by the truth of your sin, Christ came to seek and save the lost to bring you into union with God, reconcile you to God, confess your sin, trust in Christ, the Savior and Lord. Join the company of many others who who came to know the weight of their sin, their life of crime against a holy and good God, and then was forgiven and renewed by Christ Jesus, the will-turner. The third point is this, a king like no one else. A king like no one else. We see that he rode on a donkey, which is surprising for a king to ride on a donkey. You think of a king coming in on a tank or coming in on some majestic or impressive horse. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 1 that Solomon rode on a horse, that Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 9 rode on a horse. But these men were not men of humility. These were not men trying to express their humility, that they're servants of the people. Jesus was the true king who rode into Jerusalem, his city, on a donkey because he came to humbly lay his life down, to be a servant, to save many from sin. We see that Jerusalem comes into view, that he is drawing near to the critical event. The ascension to his throne is through humiliation and suffering. The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They'd seen Jesus do miraculous things. 
his twelve disciples, three of his three of his disciples saw him be transfigured on the mountain. Saw him with Moses and Elijah. Saw him uh, calm the sea, feed thousands with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. And think about these people, this crowds of people who anticipated and were eager to see Jesus come to his throne, not expecting that Jesus was actually going to be crucified and to die. You know, the, there's, a, there's a history of, of Israel as they pilgrimed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Um, they would sing these songs, these songs of ascent, which are from, you see it in Psalms 120 through one, uh, Psalms 140. When the Lord, this is Psalms 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who does our weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home from shouts of joy bringing his shivs with him. This is a song I would, they may not have sung this as Jesus was journeying Jerusalem, but this was probably in their hearts. They, they believed that their fortunes were about to change, that their fortunes were going to be restored by the Lord. The Lord had done great things. And so, since he had done great things, they were expecting that their fortunes would be restored. But Jesus did not come to change their material Fortunes. He did not come to change their, their fortunes when it came to wealth or power or political freedom. He came to die and to bring salvation, and which is what they truly needed. They needed a king who would lay their life down for them. The city is filled with life and anticipation. Jophesus said that nearly two million people would journey for the Passover Jesus arrives in the city with a crowd singing his praises. His followers are not an invading army. He's not, an arm, he's not wearing armor or riding a white horse. He's being followed by the poor, tax collectors, prostitutes, the lowest levels of society. They cry out to him, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, you know Herod Antipas is nervous. You know the, the Romans are annoyed because this means another uprising which will call them to be forced to execute thousands like they've done before. Civil wars and revolts are, ba- are bad for empire building. Herod Antipas, who's the king, is afraid of, an, of is a, is a friend of the emperor of Rome. He, he doesn't want his people to rise up against the Romans, against the emperor. He doesn't want a civil war to happen that will cause him to lose his throne and lose his fortune. That many people had a lot to lose by Jesus's anticipation that he was going to take on, uh, uh, he was going to take the throne, and that he had a group of people following him, crowds of people following him. It seemed like an uprising. It seemed like a revolt. It seemed like a revolution was coming. And so you had that going on while the Passover is about to start, and so you have a lot of, of energy and a lot of emotion and a lot of anticipation that is happening in this particular moment. We see that the, uh, this, and this is the fourth point here, is that salvation has come to G- Israel and the world through this king. Again, this, this king has no army. What king has no army or title or 
glorious victories and a white horse of triumph. He is the King of David, right? And, and I think that's an important point to make. This entire event is so um, is prophesied in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, where the prophet Zechariah says, "And this is." After all the kings of Israel and Judah have come to pass, there's no king over the people of Israel. They're leaderless. They're they're desiring God to send a leader to lead them, a holy and good king, a holy and good leader. And Zechariah prophesies, he says, Rejoice greatly, shout aloud, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The true king who is holy and righteous and wise and true, who brings salvation for God's people, rides on a donkey. He is humble. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest comes through this king. This was told to the shepherds that Jesus, the the boy in the manger, the one born in Bethlehem, peace has come through him. That peace has come between God and man through this king. This king from from the, the kings from the past brought judgment on the people due to their disobedience and their essential sinfulness. But this king brings salvation. Israel has been waiting for generations, hoping for God's salvation to come to them, hoping God would, would rise, raise up a leader like Moses or Samuel or David to free them. But behold, he sends his only son. God's commitment to his promises on full display. This king establishes deliverance for the people. And I think the question that was uh, pressed upon the people of Israel in Jesus' day and same in our days, do you accept His reign? Do you accept His work on the cross as sufficient to cover your sins and to bring peace between you and God? Do you trust Him to bring freedom from your guilt and, and adopt you into, his, into God's family? I think that what I'm going to plead with you this, this, through this is to please, please lay down your life and follow Christ. And you won't get the Mercedes in the, in the garage. You won't get the biggest house in the neighborhood. You won't get the best job. You won't get the corner office. That's not what you need. The people in the crowd, they thought that's what they needed. They needed wealth, and they needed prosperity, and they needed materialism, and they needed political freedom. But what they truly needed was life to their soul. And Christ brings that through his body. He willingly laid down his life. Was that taken from him? Was that ripped from him? He willingly laid it down. He gave his authority over and was killed and crucified for your salvation. And will you believe? Will you lay down your life? Will you follow Christ today? The last point is this, is the gospel of this new king will be known. It says at the end of this, this event that the Pharisees seeing this, this, this crowd and this, this hymns of worship of him as king. It says in verse 39 that the Pharisees and the crowd said to, said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I mean, he calls him, they call him teacher, not king or Lord. They're offended by the chants about Jesus. This is too bold. This is too radical, too much, too much love. I think we have to ask, I mean, do we, when people talk about Jesus in, in front of you and they're 
talking to a woman, a friend or a family member or someone else about Christ, do you, do you feel offended? Do you feel like that's just too much? Do you agree with the Pharisees? Do you believe that just too much worship of Jesus, too much uh, praise of His name, too much adoration for Him? Or do you believe the gospel of Christ must be known, that it must be told, that it must be chanted, that it must be announced and proclaimed? It's funny how Jesus responds here in the verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He said, silence is impossible. You cannot silence the good news, my good news of my kingdom going forth. It came forth that when Jesus was crucified, when he died, when he rose again, when he ascended, it came out of Jerusalem and it went forth around the world. The Pharisees failed to silence the gospel going forth. The gospel will be known. You can't stop it. It will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Governments, presidents, companies, religious groups, they can't stop the gospel from going forth. Even if you happen to succeed in silencing Christ's disciples, in silencing Christ's church, the stones will cry out. You cannot stop it. And I think we have to realize and, 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 and understand that we have to have confidence and trust in the Lord. The way that Jonathan, the son of King Saul and his armor bearer, as they attacked and, and fought the Philistines, they were confident and trusted in the Lord and that led them with boldness. We have to be bold. We have to be confident in the Lord and realize that the gospel will not be silent. Even if we close our mouth, even if we are forced to close our mouth, the gospel will go forth. It will be spoken. It will be proclaimed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to die for sinners, to die for the worst, to lay his life down, to transform and redeem their soul, to give them life everlasting, to give them salvation, deliverance and redemption, to, to give away their guilt, to justify them and adopt them into God's family, that you can't stop that message. You cannot stop that news. It will go forth. It will not be stopped. And we have to be confident and, and dedicated and committed to spreading the joy of Christ's salvific kingdom, His kingdom of salvation. If you've been radically saved by Christ from destruction to life, should we not be filled with joy and proclaim that our Lord and Savior and King reigns and welcome anyone into His kingdom through faith in Him? We should cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace with you, with God, if you trust in this King. If you trust in Him. You can have this salvation, this peace, if you trust in Christ Jesus today. He will renew you. That's what we should tell people. That's what people need to know. And Christ is dedicated and committed in people around the world knowing this truth. And if you are someone who's listening and you're trying to stop this, you will fail. Even if you were to silence every mouth of every believer and every Christian, the mountains and the trees and the sky and the animals will cry out that Christ Jesus is King. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The world will hear this good news through you. If you're listening to this, 
he will he will his gospel will go through you his disciples his chosen people his holy nation his royal priesthood are you one of his disciples have you trusted Christ this king for your salvation that is a question you have to ask yourself are you a follower of Christ do you truly follow him as king do you trust him as king as the Lord of your life. I want to conclude with this, uh, kind of this theme of, of talking about President Obama, uh, who celebrated his 60th birthday just recently. Um, but in a, during, when he was president, this was in 2012, uh, Jamie Foxx, the comedian and actor, was uh, kind of the, was the host for the Soul Train Music Awards. And uh, while he was um, during that awards show, he said, uh, first of all, let's give an honor to God and our Lord and Savior, Barack Obama. And, I, I, you know, we, we may like, kind of be offended by that comment. Um, or maybe you're just like, oh, that's, that's stupid. I mean, obviously, Barack Obama is not Jesus Christ. But what, what, what you're, I think what you're seeing here, though, is that for many, they may not say it, but they, they put their faith in kings who cannot say They put their faith in leaders who cannot bring them peace with God, leaders and presidents and, and, and other, other people who are not holy, righteous, and true. Christ is the true king. All other men or women that, that you put your trust in cannot save you, cannot satisfy you, cannot rid you of your guilt, cannot heal your pain. Only trust in Christ. He is the only worthy king. Sing his praises. He is the only true king. He is the new kind of king. He is a king who rode up on a donkey, who's humble, who comes to bring salvation, who's holy and true and right, who loves you and cares for you. Trust in him. Don't trust. Don't put your hope in a new president. Don't put your hope in a new government. Don't put your hope in a new corporation or a new business or a new a new uh, object in your life put your trust in the true king the lord of lords who transforms your soul who cleanses you from all sins who cleanses you from your guilt and renews you and transforms you and gives you life everlasting let's pray so lord we thank you for your word we thank you lord that your word is true and is good and is right and Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would cleanse our sin of, of trusting in the wrong things, putting our faith in the wrong things, in the wrong people, in the wrong objects, in the wrong circumstances, Lord. We pray that our trust would be in you, that you are, you're the Lord, Lord. You're provident, you're, you, you are over all things. You have providence over everything, Lord. You're the creator, you're the sustainer. And you bring salvation, your good news, the gospel transforms our hearts, Lord. We are lost without you. And Lord, we want to praise Christ. We want to praise him as our king. And if anyone is listening to this right now, and they have never trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would save them, that your spirit would renew their hearts, transform them, Lord. They would understand your truth. They would understand the gospel, and they would worship your son, Jesus, as the true king. That they would say with their hearts, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Because our king reigns. And I am in his kingdom. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. He is my Lord and he is my savior. He is a king who 
humbly laid his life down for my sins. He has all the power and all the glory and all the honor. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give people who lack that, that you would give them that faith and that trust. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.